This week's episode of The Dive Podcast is brought to you by Neil Kelly, a leader in the design, installation, and maintenance of residential solar energy systems in Oregon. Visit neilkelly.com solar to learn more and to schedule a complimentary solar assessment, or call them at 503-288-7461. Visit Killer Burger, home of the Peanut Butter Pickle Bacon Burger, a one-third pound ground chuck patty layered with bacon, signature peanut butter and house sauces, grilled onions, and pickles. All burgers come with made-to-order fries. Visit one of Killer Burger's 14 Greater Portland Area locations or order online and get it delivered through www.killerburger.com. Welcome to the Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week where every Saturday we discuss the biggest news stories of the week with Portland's noisiest newsmakers, savviest culturistas, and some of the best journalists in the game. I'm your host, Brianna Wheeler, and I want to hear from you. So send your questions and comments to me, bwheeler at wweek.com. All right, y'all, enjoy the show. I just look at my, my housing and homeless plan. That's audacious. That's hard. And we need to do it. We can end homelessness for our most vulnerable individuals in the next two years by focusing on vets and seniors and and kids coming out of foster care. We can do that, and we have to. But the biggest item, I think, is the more audacious one, is the second bullet on that plan, which is talking about our housing supply. We will have to build 36,000 units per year for the next decade to not only make up the gap, but to get ahead of it for the people who have lived here now and people who are moving here. That is going to take what I would say a completely, I think even a little bit some of the efforts in, that you had during um, FDR, where you have to have this giant plan to do that. That's a workforce, that's a zoning issue, that's a supply issue, that's like how do you actually get the money, the financing to do this? We have such a housing supply problem in the state that and my legislation in uh, trying to figure out what the need is is on track, so we will know what those numbers are at what income levels that people need housing. This isn't just low-income housing. This is workforce housing. This is housing across the board. And on day one, I'm going to be like, well, we're going to do this, because otherwise we're not getting ahead of this. So I'm super excited about it, and it's going to be a big deal. And frankly, we have to get, we have to get it done. That quote from Democratic gubernatorial candidate Tina Kotek is the perfect prelude to this week's episode. Today's guest is Michael Anderson, a senior researcher for regional sustainability think tank, Sightline Institute. On today's episode, Michael and I comb through his contribution to Willamette Week's cover package, You Can't Afford This, which takes a critical look at Portland's housing crisis, the classism and racism that stems from, and offers potential solutions to what might feel like unsolvable problems. It's Saturday, April 16th, and this is episode 67 of The Dive. Y'all, this week's paper looked me dead in my face and told me I can't afford to buy a house here. Which was not shade. It was facts. And it's facts for a lot of Portlanders like me. Portlanders who fled overpriced, overstuffed metros to rent affordable houses here, and then watched as Portland settled rigidly onto a path to itself becoming an overstuffed, overpriced metro. But cities grow, and they evolve, and they're like living, breathing organisms. So we'd be foolish to try to curb progress, but we're also foolish for looking the other way while tent cities surround vacant buildings, 
and projects that could become safety nets to protect both historical Portland and its marginalized residents are tangled up in red tape. A lot of this week's cover package reminded me of Terry Pratchett's boot analogy of socioeconomic awareness from his play Men at Arms. Just stay with me for a second. The reason that the rich are so rich is because they managed to spend less money. Take boots, for example, if you earned $38 a month. A really good pair of leather boots might cost $50, but an affordable pair of boots, which are okay for a season or two until they start leaking, costs about $10. But the thing about good boots is that they last for years and years. A man who could afford $50 had a boot that would keep his feet dry for 10 years or more, while the poor man, who could only afford the cheap boot, would have spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars on boots on the same amount of time, and he would still have wet feet. A lot of us are out here with wet feet, and it feels like the nice boot-wearing communities are very busy theorizing why instead of just giving somebody a pair of boots. I wonder how long before the newly built homes in my own neighborhood start including Airstream trailers in the backyard, like as a default to encourage people who want to build their passive income. But instead of it being uh, affordable housing, it's exploited for Airbnb. Dang, I should have asked Michael about that. Well, Michael and I will discuss backyard trailers and how they might become the new default in just a moment. But first, here's what I learned from this week's edition of Willamette Week. Sophie Peel is out here doing the Lord's work, breaking down advice from housing experts, lawyers, and investors to round up a very necessary list of tenant protections and renter suggestions that feels like required reading for anyone who pays rent every month. I might need several many lessons in government developer investor speak to truly grasp why it could be years before I get to wander around the pop blocks a reimagined version of the iconic Pepsi warehouse on Northeast Sandy. Thankfully, Anthony Effinger does a great job of explaining the whys, the hows, and the WTFs of this urban development debacle. When Rachel Monahan asked the gubernatorial candidates if they thought Oregon was systemically racist, Republicans said, heavens no. Democrats said, what, dude, are you kidding? Yes, yes. And Betsy Johnson said, Mama, the state's OG constitution banned black residency. What do you think? Because I'm not answering. I'm paraphrasing. But it's all going to be okay. At least while we can go get a beer at the sports bra. (laughs) The first and only sports bar featuring only women's athletics. Now, let's get to me and Michael Anderson's convo about housing sustainability, the hotelification of new apartments, and the importance of four floors and corner stores. Hi, Michael. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, How's it going? Great. Thanks so much for having me, Brianna. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So this week, for the Willamette Week cover package on housing, you put together a piece about the intense increase in um in home building costs and this is like a this is a very compelling topic because home ownership has become such a unfeasible prospect for so many portland residents especially if we're talking about new construction um Mm -hmm. so first of all uh, what went into putting the piece together (laughs) 
Uh, this came out of, I think, a, a Twitter thread that I was uh, sort of trying to share some, gather some thoughts about. And uh, well, I'm Week's news editor, Aaron Mesh, had seen that and thought it was useful. And I think what appealed to him was that I was sort of coming at this with some like, this is why this familiar narrative is wrong, and this is why that familiar narrative is wrong. And I think he was like, oh, that sounds well, I'm a wiki. Um, so uh, the um, anyway, so like one of the points that it seemed to me is important to make, which I think is fairly familiar, is like you don't need new construction to do every single job, right? Like sure. newly built homes are always going to be more expensive than older homes. I'm, I've lived most of my life in older, in, you know, non-new homes, and like the only thing that prevents those from being arbitrarily, you know, the landlord or the seller is going to raise that price as high as they can. Generally, no matter who they, are, you know, whether it's a corporation or an individual, sure. they're usually motivated by wanting a little bit more money. So, like, yep. the only reason that they wouldn't is because there's something else that somebody else would buy instead, right? Sure. And so. The only thing that is keeping the price of a McDonald's hamburger in check is a Burger King hamburger. Uh, even though the Burger King hamburger costs another couple bucks, like they're still in competition with each other, both on both both price and quality simultaneously. And so, like, that's why the price of the new home, and therefore the cost of building that new home, determines the price of the old home. Sure. Like the only thing that's keeping the price of the old home in check is that we have new homes that are coming in that are at low enough cost to compete with the old homes that the landlord or the seller of the old home is like, oh, no, they might, you know, the person who would otherwise pay me for this place is going to live somewhere else instead. It's nicer. Yeah. There were a couple of things in the piece that really, like, really blew my mind. Um, rules that were on the books that I had... I, you know, the average Portlander is not going to know a lot of this yeah, stuff. Yeah. This is why this sure. uh, piece is so revelatory. So the first, sure. the first fact that kind of blew my mind was this. Help me unpack this. This four floors and corner stores apartment band. Mm -hmm. It's crazy to me. It's crazy really? to me that it's such That's a small crazy. city. I think it's crazy to most people. But it's the, so crazy. Yet, yet, right. Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, I think that it's overturned because it's nice to live in a place without a lot of noise or, uh, you know, hustle and bustle. A lot of people would prefer not to live across the street from an apartment. And if they can wield the power of government to prevent them from having to do so, they will do so. And I think that's legitimate. Like, that's how government works, is people try to get nice things for themselves. But, like, the problem is that, like, when one person gets a nice thing for themselves and it hurts every single person, including indirectly the very person who thought they were getting the nice thing, <laughs> right, then it sucks. So, like, that's why we need arguments in Willamette Week about um, you know, how to make things better. But so the origin of the story that you're referring to, uh, in the twenties, we invented, well, not actually in the aughts, in the 1900s, we invented zoning mm -hmm. and then people started saying, okay, we're going to use zoning to keep white people and black people and Chinese people apart. Mm -hmm. That's what it is for. And then the Supreme court was like, no, no, this great country isn't going to let you do that. Sure. No, no, no. Instead, we're going to let you keep rich people and poor people apart. That's the ticket. That's the and ticket. That, that, has, that has the same effect, of course. <laughs> but the um, uh, the rule, as they put it, was uh, that the apartment building is a, quote, mere parasite on the nearby 
detached structure because the apartment is supposedly mooching off the front yard of the attached structure, which I can see that argument, but like it ignores the fact that the attached, the detached structure is also mooching off the wealth and like activity and intelligence of the people in the apartment who are all like doing the jobs to make a city happen alongside the people in the detached structure. Like cities are people doing things for each other. And like, you need both types and all people to live in a city to make it work well. So like the, um, the effect of these exclusionary zoning uh, rules that gradually spread from the fanciest neighborhoods, including in Portland, started in like Laurelhurst and East Moreland and the fa- same neighborhoods we are all familiar with mm-hmm. as being the fancy ones now, um, that became a status symbol. And then it gradually spread all over the city and uh, they banned these really cheap to build housing costs because they let multiple families share the cost of land. They share a wall that you share heating uh, four floors and corner stores is this great phrase by my friend Laura in Seattle who um, says that's that's what we should have more of. Not every single building, obviously, mm-hmm. but like many buildings. And the way to make many buildings happen is to let them be legal and where they make sense, they'll become built eventually. Yeah, absolutely. To that end, another thing that blew my mind in regards to like apartment building in Portland was, um, so I've been calling it I've been calling it the hotelification of new apartment mm. buildings. And a friend mm. of mine just moved uh, out of a downtown building because he said that he was tired of living in what felt like a hotel, like the whole yeah, yeah. you know the central hallway, multiple staircases, all yeah. this fire safety yeah. business. Yeah. So, what do you think is keeping Portland from being in lockstep um, development-wise uh, with cities who can build apartments safely without all of these regulations? Yeah, so, like, I had no idea either until, like, last year that that is mandatory. That central corridor that makes it feel like a hotel, like, totally. like you're in The Shining, you know? Yes! Going down the, right? Yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah, the, the doors on both sides of the corridor, there's no windows. Mm-hmm. And also, in your unit, there's no cross breeze because you only have windows on one wall, which means that if you're facing east, it's always super hot in the morning or vice versa in the afternoon. That is all because there's a rule that says in the U.S. building code, you have to have two different exits, Mm -hmm. which is a totally like reasonable sounding thing. Two ways out in a fire. Right. But the effect of that is that if you're going to have two staircases, then you, uh, that are so far, you know, they have to be a little bit apart from each other. You basically have to have a corridor. And if you have a corridor, you may as well make it double loaded because that's the most space efficient way to have a corridor. Mm -hmm. And the effect of that is that you can't do apartment buildings on small lots. You can't do like a single staircase up the middle that opens directly onto various people's units, which means you can't have very many corner units. It means that there's a bunch of wasted space on every floor because everybody in the units is paying for all the space. If you think about it, like a a staircase takes up a ton of space up and down the building and all of that physical, like three-dimensional space could be living space uh, in a building if it weren't required to exist. So like, it's not that fire rules are unimportant. They're just like other ways to do it. So what Seattle has done, for example, is they said that you can go over the four story limit there. You can go up to six stories in Seattle and, uh, you can still have only have one staircase as long as you have do a few other fire rules. Like you have to have a better wall compared next to other adjacent buildings in some cases, things like that. Um, and, uh, and it's not like, uh, there are not that many situations in which an extra two floors of, you know, running down staircases is going to uh, make a difference. So like effectively, like we're trading the, those, those seconds in the rare case of a fire for the people who live on the top floor of that building against the cost of housing for every single other person in the country. Wow. 
Oof. So that's not like an easy choice. Yeah. Like I'm not, I don't want to imply that any of these trade-offs are like obvious. Sure. But I feel like they're invisible. And so people don't know about them. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, how are we even supposed to get around a housing shortage with regulations like these? And so many residents don't even realize that these regulations exist. Right. Right. It's a little dizzying. Yep. Yeah, and so nobody, in that case, like, nobody wants to get caught holding the bag of a disaster, right? Of and course. so everybody's afraid that, like, what there's, like, a 0.05% chance that this is exactly what happens. There's one news story about something in the next four years after I do this, and then I'm going to be the one who's blamed for this. Instead of, like, the housing is going to get, you know, the rent is going to go down for every single person in the state by $20, and nobody will ever know. Mm-hmm. But, like that because of that competitive effect like that would be you know, i don't know what the number is but it's it's like it's on the order of that and like if you think of the vast economic benefits of the rent going down for every single person by twenty dollars every month oh gosh. like it's immense yeah right so like it's it's like these these very thinly spread benefits compared against these very concentrated visible costs basically yeah you also pointed out in your piece another thing <laughs> You taught me so much, Michael. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm so glad. This is wonderful. I'm, I, I, I was afraid that it was all going to be so uh, so nerdy that nobody gave care. No, right. you know, um, I real estate speculation is, uh, I love it. It's a hobby. Mm. I think mm. for a lot mm. of people, especially, I live in the Northeast neighborhood, so I've seen home values go from, I mean, double and triple. It's hard to watch. It's interesting to watch, but it's also really hard to watch. Mm-hmm. Especially sure. this new rule that I didn't know. Now, I already knew about... Um, like Oregon has this really, I think tax-wise, these kind of lax regulations regarding additional dwelling units and backyards. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have pointed out that there was a RV backyard camping was legalized. Yeah. I didn't even know that that was illegal, considering that yeah. ADUs are so popular. Right. Now oh, I'm wondering, yes. <laughs> if, if I just like put wheels on an ADU, does it now fly even further beneath the radar? In a- yes. Oh, wow. Basically, yeah. I mean, I don't. I, there, I think there's a size maximum for a home on wheels. I don't know exactly what the code says. But um, so when Portland passed its four-plex, six-plex legalization last year, and that, that was August 1st, it took effect that you can build four, up to four units on any lot subject to various restrictions and up to six units with affordability. Mm-hmm. Uh, great reform, in my opinion. Let's everybody share the cost of the land. But the... Um, uh, at the same time, it also passed what was called the Shelter to Housing Continuum, which was a package of uh, rules that were sort of a hodgepodge of like reducing the super low cost housing and shelter options. So it opened the door to uh, things like the um, uh, St. John's uh, sort of tiny home village uh, for folks who are homeless completely. Um, and it also open the door to sort of marginal somewhere between shelter and housing things like a backyard RV. So like mm-hmm. for several years, the city of Portland had been looking the other way when people were like that, when Commissioner Daly was elected, uh, she said, okay, we're going to basically decriminalize RV living the same way we used to decriminalize marijuana. Now we're like, just going to look the other, we're not going to bother to enforce complaints about people living in RVs because they need to live somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then that basically became like, okay, so at some point we're going to lift that We're going to change that and start reinforcing the rule again. And that means we're going to like go around kicking people out of their RVs that they're living 
voluntarily in people's driveways and backyards. That doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So like, and we're like, okay, well, how about we just legalize it? Right. So like the, um, effect of that was that we said, okay, it's illegal to live in a home on wheels. And that includes an RV, uh, as long as there's a utility connection, which is fair. It takes like something in the order of 10 to $15,000 to, uh, like get the right, you know, more electric capacity in your main generator or your main, what is it? Transformer. And, um, uh, and to somehow connect to the sewer system and the water system. But if you can do that, then it's legal to live in a structure on wheels. And in Portland, there, there isn't a specific like construction standard for what that structure needs to be. So if you can live in a structure on wheels, you, if you want to, you can do it. And what that means is not only like, I think it, it's entirely likely they're going to be a bunch of really like crappy structures that people are living in, but like newsflash, people are already doing that. That's already happening. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I think the great promise of it is that it actually lets us like, um, for better or worse, like with marijuana, it takes things out of the shadows somewhat, and mm-hmm. uh, it lets us create things with greater scale and efficiency. And um, the uh, I like I can imagine somebody creating like a line of you know factory built, sound but cheap structures down to something in the like four hundred to five hundred dollars a month range in rent. It actually wow. breaks even for the property owner to do that. So like. Like I'm saying about competition, I, I think that this has not worked its way into the market yet. Most people don't know about that. Like mm-hmm. with ADUs, it's sort of like an infectious idea. Like you don't really get like a backyard home until you see a backyard home. And then you're like, oh, cool. Backyard home is great. Totally. Sounds good. <laughs> and um, and I think it's going to be like that where they're like sort of decent, relatively attractive, low cost, like super low cost structures that some people will put in. And then some people will notice that and some people will visit their friend who lives in one and like the i think it's exciting that the word might spread about things like that and oakland had a similar reform recently so it's something that could spread hopefully to other cities as well was there anything uh, left out of the piece anything that you uh, would have addressed if you had a longer word count i uh it wasn't a word count issue but uh uh edit aaron the editor uh had me lean into a long elaborate metaphor about uh hamburgers and uh <laughs> like I, I used at the beginning of this conversation and and then uh, I think uh, his boss Mark said, "No, that's no good." So, um, I, I, so I actually took the I, I am allowed to use my elaborate hamburger metaphor and use it on my day jobs website. So, I work at Sightline Institute. It's a regional sustainability think tank. We're I think about to publish an article that links to the Willamette Week piece and opens with my beautiful hamburger metaphor. So you will not miss oh. this wonderful hamburger metaphor developed on spec for Willamette Week. Thank goodness yeah yeah i'm glad that the world is going to be a richer place yeah absolutely big thanks to this week's guest michael anderson and thank you for joining me i hope you'll join me again next week until then Bye.